Uh, open up in your Bible to the very end of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> uh, I had a birthday last week. And if you're wondering how old I am, uh, like, okay, so this morning I woke up and I had this like, this like red spot in my eye where I guess I broke a blood vessel from sneezing too hard. So that, that's how old I am. <laughs> that's new. I didn't think that could even happen. So I'm, I'm 44. That's, that's too young, right? That's, that's too young for that kind of thing to happen. <laughs> uh, we're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 6 through about 14. And today we're finishing up this study in this letter that Peter writes to these churches that have been dispersed all over this area uh, in different parts of, of uh, Roman-ruled Asia Minor. Churches that are full of people who have, have rejected and abandoned their, their idols and their false gods, and they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as the one true God and Savior and Lord. And and with that decision to follow Jesus, they had also made the decision to abandon the, the old habits and the old lifestyle and the old things that used to be a part of their life. Things that, that don't fit who they are now as children of God. And Peter lists some of those things in chapter 4 of his letter here. Things like lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. Things that are not only unhealthy, but ungodly, worthless. So that's a good thing. These are people who are believers and who love Jesus and are striving to live for Jesus. But the problem with making that kind of life change is that there are still lots of people all around them who haven't placed their faith in Jesus and who still love those old idols and st still love that old lifestyle. And they're frustrated and disappointed that their friends and family members are no longer taking part in those old habits and practices anymore. And I'm sure at first they were just disappointed and probably tried to encourage and urge their friends to do the same things that they used to do. But when that didn't work, they, they became angry and insulting and mocking and eventually leading to, to persecution. The decision to follow Jesus Christ had cost these people something. It had cost them friends, family members, comfort, popularity, finances. And losing those kinds of things isn't easy. Like even, even though we, we believe with all our hearts in and, and Jesus Christ and we know who God is and what He has done for us and there's no doubt about it, still it hurts to lose things like this. And so how do we as Christians who are changed and transformed and new, how do we handle living in a world that seems to be angry and frustrated and mad at us for our faith? How do we make sense of the suffering that we still endure even though we're, we're now children of God? How do we keep on living in a way that, that honors God? And why, if, if we have made the right choice and we are doing what we should be doing and following God, why do we have to deal with suffering at all? Why doesn't God just take it all away? 
And this, this letter written by Peter was intended to answer that question. It was intended to be distributed to these different churches, these different gatherings of Christians in this, in this area to, to help them find an answer to this question of suffering. And his answer is pretty simple. He just reminds them over and over and over again, like we've seen over the last few months of we, as we've studied this letter, he reminds them of who they are, right? Don't, don't forget about who you are in Christ. Don't, who they belong to. You are a child of a God. And he reminds them of where they're headed. He talks a lot about heaven and eternal glory in this letter. Over in chapter 1, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Don't forget who you are and who you belong to and where you're headed. In chapter 2, Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but you are now the people of God. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then in chapter 3, again, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Again in chapter 4, He reminds us, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And because of who you are and who you belong to and where you're headed, live this life with courage and confidence. Knowing that the joining in suffering like Jesus did is a blessing and not a curse. It's, it's when we forget those things. It's when we forget a, about who we are and whose we are that we get worried and discouraged and we freak out about the things that are happening all around us. And so Peter closes this letter with one final word of, of caution and encouragement. Reminding us that we have this, this adversary who wants to devour us when we're suffering, but we also have this advocate who will help us in our time of trial. Let me read it, starting in, in verse 6 of chapter 5. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. 
Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect and confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter begins this section with reminding us that when we suffer, we have a refuge. We have an advocate who cares for us. He tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Uh, the word for humble here uh, in, in the Greek language is a uh, aorist passive imperative. If you're sitting next to an English teacher, you can tap them on the shoulder now and ask them what that means. Um, if not... It simply means that this is not an active uh, verb. This isn't like an action that we do. This is a passive verb, which means it's something that happens to us. And so maybe a better translation of this would be, allow yourselves to be humbled. When life comes at you and humbles you, and it will, I guarantee you, humbling things will happen. Humiliating things will happen. When they do, allow them to happen. Allow them to do their humbling work. And often though, when something hard, difficult, humbling comes our way, we respond in a, in a, in a couple of different ways. One of the ways that we often respond is by running. We just want to flee as fast as we can from it. It's too hard. It's too much. I can't handle it can't take it anymore. I just need to take care of me. I just, I just need to be happy. And so we run from things that are s scary, from, from difficult situations or confrontations or from suffering or from pain, but that doesn't ever fix anything. Usually it just makes more messes all around us. The other thing that we often do is fight it. We rage against it. We complain and we argue and we get defensive all in an attempt to, to like pr prop ourselves up, to protect ourselves from being humiliated or looked down on at all. Fight or run. Peter says don't do either one of those things. Just calm down and don't do either one. Allow yourselves to be humbled, hu humiliated, let it happen. Knowing that you're not uh, alone in it. You're not, you're not unprotected or unguarded in it. You are under the mighty hand of God. There is some containment to this humiliation that you have to suffer through. You are under the mighty hand of this God who causes all things to work together for our good. We're under the mighty hand of, of this all-powerful, all-wise God who cares for us. Like cares for us personally, individually. 
He knows us and cares about us. So all of that, all of that anxious, nervous anxiety that we have that causes us to want to either run or fight, instead, just hand that over to God. Just cast all that on Him. Just put that in His court. Because there's something that God wants to do through the suffering and through the pain. There's that endurance and that perseverance and that humility that God wants us to learn. He wants to teach us some things. And so there's actually some good that can come from the humility that we face. There's growth and there's sanctification in humility. I think... I think I understand this. You, I mean, if you're, if you're a parent, you probably understand this to some extent. Like, I actually sometimes want my kids to fail. I know that sounds mean, right? <laughs> Not all the time. <laughs> but sometimes, I want my kids to have to deal with learning how to be disappointed and to be frustrated and to learn that they aren't the best or that they aren't the greatest or that they still need to work on things or learn things. And, um, I have a kid, I won't say who it was, but she thought that the driver's license test was going to be a piece of cake, and so she didn't study, and she didn't pass. <laughs> and she learned from that experience that you kind of need to study sometimes. <laughs> and so she did, and passed with flying colors the next time. There's, there's something about failing sometimes that's, that's healthy for us, important to us. What, 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 what happens if, if as, as a parent, we're always rescuing and protecting and guarding our kids and not ever allowing them to ever face any kind of difficulty or failure or struggle? What if we're always swooping in and preventing them from ever having to, to deal with failure? I mean, what if, what, what if you're constantly calling up teachers and complaining about bad grades, even when they're in college? It happens. It happens. <laughs> like, is that, is that going to produce like a, like a resilient, well-adjusted child? Or maybe something that's more on the, like, spoiled brat end of the spectrum? I, that might be the case. Allow your kids to be humbled at times. I mean, we're there to guard them and protect them, and we care about them, and we don't want it to be... But allow, allow them to be humbled. And allow yourselves to be humbled under the mighty hand of God. He knows what he's doing. When we allow that, when we allow ourselves to be humbled by God, what's the result? Well, it says here that he will exalt us. He will lift us up at the proper time, at the right time. God's going to do the exalting. And here's the reality. Everybody, all, all of us, every single one of us will be humbled at some point in time. Now we can, we can try and spend this life here exalting ourselves and lifting ourselves up and trying to make ourselves look good and trying to prevent any kind of difficulty or problem. And ultimately, at the end of the day, God's going to humble us. And, and listen, God is way better at the whole 
humbling and exalting thing. I, I think we'd be better off to allow God to be the one to, to, to humble us here and now and then trust Him with the exalting at the right time because He's going to do a better job of exalting us than we can do of exalting us. So when we are suffering, when we are struggling, we have an advocate who cares for us and protects us through it all and will ultimately exalt us and lift us up at the, at the right time. Peter says here, though, that there's more to the story, that we also have this adversary who wants to devour us. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. There's an enemy that wants to tempt us to sin wants to convince us that we are worthless. Make us think that we don't have any choice but to run, to run from God and run from the truth or, or to, to, to fight against it and we don't deserve this and to get bitter and angry. And... He, he wants us to instead of trust God and rest in Him to run the other direction. And, and our enemy doesn't fight fair. Have you noticed? Like he, he preys on us when we're at our weakest, when we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're hangry, when, when, we, when we don't see it coming, he pounces. That's why Peter says, be sober, be, be, be awake, be on the alert. Don't let your guard down. Because he'll attack when you don't expect it. But Peter's solution is a simple one, right? He just says, resist him. I like that. Resist him. Satan isn't all-powerful. He doesn't, he doesn't really have any control over us. We aren't helpless or powerless against him. Not at all. I don't think Peter would tell us to resist him if we couldn't re resist him. And Peter even tells us how to resist. By standing firm in your faith. All right, so just for fun, last week I googled uh, what to do if you're attacked by an actual lion. And it was fascinating. It was really interesting. So point one was don't, don't panic. Do not panic, right? You're going to be freaked out, but do, just be sober-minded and alert, essentially, is what it's saying. Point two, do not run. Stand your ground. Stand firm. It's almost like they were reading Peter when they wrote this. Awesome. Don't, don't, uh, don't run away because the lion will chase you and eat you. And don't charge the lion because why would you do that? That's why well, you don't even need to say you'll get eaten. Just don't, just stand firm. Stand your ground. St stand firm in your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Nothing will ever change that reality and that truth. Stand firm in your faith in the Word of God as being living and active and able to transform us and renew us. I've, 
I have found that very, very often the absolute best antidote to the lies of the devil is the truth of the Word of God. Stand firm in your position as a child of God. Stand firm as someone who has been freed from sin. Stand stand firm in your hope of the promises of heaven. Stand firm when that that devil roars. Don't be intimidated. Don't be freaked out. That's, That's what he wants. He wants us to be scared. Instead, just stand firm and humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I think the, the most interesting part of this, this whole passage maybe is, is in verse 9 where he says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Why is that a helpful thing to say? Why is it helpful to say you're not alone? Others are going through this too. Why is it that in some weird way, misery kind of does like company? What, like why, why did he include that? I think because very, very often, one of the ways that the devil trips us up is by convincing us that we are alone in this. That it is just us that's suffering in this way. That nobody else knows what it's like to have to go through what we're going through. No one understands. No one's felt what we feel. God doesn't love us. Maybe he's abandoned us. Maybe he's mad at us. Maybe I'm not worthy of his love anymore. Like a lion separating, separating out uh, their prey from the, the rest of the pack and attacking. Satan wants to separate us out and isolate us and intimidate us. But listen, you are not alone. You, you are not the only one who has marital struggles in your life. You are not the only ones who have kids who sometimes make poor choices. You're not the only ones that have to wrestle with health issues. You're not the only one that's had financial struggles. You're not the only one that's been tempted to sin. The exact same kinds of struggles are being experienced by other believers all over the world. And when we, when we suffer... We have a family, we have a church, we have a community that understands and is going through it. That's why I think church family is so healthy and so important because it prevents us from feeling isolated and alone and we realize that we're kind of in the struggle together. And when we suffer, we have, we have an advocate, a God who loves us, and who guards us. Don't be caught off guard. Be be sober-minded and alert. That enemy is is prowling around, but the storm will pass. It's not going to last forever. Verse 10, After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect and confirm and strengthen and establish you. All right, when we read that verse, I don't know about you, but the the first thing I want to know is, okay, Peter, what do you mean by a little while? Like, what's what's the Greek for a little while, language nerd? What does that mean? (laughs) 
Uh, well, in the original Greek, it just means a little while. Like, I'm sorry, it doesn't help us. It's not like a day or 20 minutes or a week or a month. It's just... I think the contrast, though, is found in that same sentence. Our suffering is a little while compared to the eternal glory that we have in Christ. That's the, that's the contrast. How long is our suffering? Not nearly as long as our eternal glory will be. Not even close. I mean, when we're in the middle of suffering right now, here, it feels like forever, right? It feels like, oh man, when is this going to end? It just feels like it keeps going. But usually, there is a, a time period where we look back and we realize, all right, that wasn't forever. But think about that in, in terms of eternity. There's going to be a point in heaven when we look back at the suffering that we endured in life and realize that was nothing, And, and let, me, let me caution you here. Let me, let me issue this word of warning at this point. Don't make bad decisions, rash decisions, foolish decisions in that, in that little while time period that are going to have a negative effect on your I- eternal glory, right? Be careful about the kinds of decisions that you make in that little while. Paul says the same kind of thing over in Romans 8. Romans 8.18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. It's, it's not fun now, I get it, but it's not even worth comparing to how awesome our eternity is going to be. Keep your eyes there rather than on the circumstances here. Because after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. That God, He Himself will perfect and confirm and strengthen and establish you. Let that happen. Allow God to do that work in your life. Praise God for being that advocate that helps us when we're suffering. He cares for you. This God of all grace who's called us to His eternal glory in Christ. Don't forget that. Don't forget who you are and who you belong to and and where you're headed. God, I thank You so much for the truth in Your Word. We need it. We need to be reminded of it. We need to never forget exactly what You have done for us through Jesus Christ. Or even though we've placed our faith in Christ and we know that all of our sins are forgiven, still here in this life, there's suffering and there's hardship and there's things that we have to endure. Thank You for this encouragement that we don't endure them alone. That we are held in Your mighty hands. That You care for us. That You're present with us through them. Lord, allow us Enable us to to allow You to do Your work. Even though it might be humbling. Knowing that at the right time, You, God, will exalt us. Again, God, thank You 
for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for how you've transformed and changed us. Give us the same hope, the same encouragement. God, every day to live our lives focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen.